last day of the Christian year. What a year it's been. <laughs> For myself, this time last year, I held on to the promise of Advent, of all the events and festivities, even in the midst of COVID, of all that was coming up for us in our churches. Those plans soon changed um, as sort of my world was, was interrupted. My mother passed not too long after Advent started, and I soon found myself uh, in Florida, and then I found myself uh, sick with COVID, so my December was pretty much a wash. Um, what I thought was gonna be out, you know, doing the church parties and everything, ended up with two weeks of quarantine with my family. No comment. <laughs> no, it was not, well, it was bad, but not because of my family. I'm just gonna throw that out there. But um, anyway, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, life goes on, and here we are again, a year later, and I can't believe it's a year later. <clears throat> This time, I, I'm holding on to Advent, again, with that hope. Uh, but I'm holding on to it with uh, grief anniversaries that will be approaching. But I'm also holding on to the promise of Advent I'm in the midst of everything that we've been seeing in our country as of late. Uh, with the unrest and division that we've seen. And I know I mention it frequently, but it weighs really heavy on my heart, what I'm seeing in our world right now. But today is known as Christ the King... <coughs> Sunday, because it is, it's a celebration of the kingship of Jesus. And it's interesting because you never see in Scripture where Jesus asks anybody to kneel down and bow before him. All Jesus says is, follow me, and I will lead you to God. He never says, worship me. He never says anything about that. But it's Christ the King Sunday, and it was established by Pope Pius XI in 1925 to counter growing secularism in Italy and in Europe, but it was also a condemnation of the influence of the growing Nazi party at the time because in 1920 the Nazi party was founded, by 1925 it was starting to grow and its influence was reaching into Italy from Germany, and it was a, or a, com or a condemnation of their growing influence because people were choosing to live as people of the world and there was this huge push towards nationalism, and so uh, and even a lot of racism that came out of that. And so he, he created this holiday as a reminder, or this day, church day, as a reminder that Christ and God's coming, coming kingdom should be the focus of our hearts and of our lives. As a reminder that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. And our scripture today is actually from John 18, and it harkens back to, to the Easter time and, lit, and, and what we often read on on. Uh, Good Friday, with Jesus standing before Pilate. And in the scene, we see him standing there, and he's already been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's already stood before the high priest. But the Jewish leaders now bring Jesus before Pilate because they want to see him executed, and they have no grounds to do so under Jewish law. And what we see in today's scripture is a clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world, the, the empire, and what should be the kingdom of heaven. But as we all know too well, the Pharisees had become at this time too comfortable with earthly things. They developed a relationship with the Roman government in order to gain power and influence. Actually, what happens later in John chapter 19, verse 15, when Pilate asks them, when, when he's trying to decide what to do because he doesn't know what to do with Jesus, he actually asks them, 
Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but the emperor. Even as they bring Jesus before Pilate, they can't even tell Pilate what it is that Jesus has done wrong. That's what Pilate asks Jesus. Why are you here? Like, are, are you the king of the Jews? Or, and he's like, well, did somebody tell you this? Is that what you think? Like Jesus doesn't come right out and say it to him. And Pilate struggles. You'll notice that he struggles. And it's interesting that he struggles because Pilate kind of has this shaky history with the Jewish people. Um, he had minted a coin um, that was used in, in Israel and society at that time that had a pagan symbol or a god on the back of it. So, so a lot of the Jewish people had to use it. So they were kind of in an uproar about this. Um, he wasn't particularly popular at that time. He wasn't a great leader. So it's interesting that he struggled with this because you would think that that it would be easy for him to make this decision because, hey, if I do this, then these people are going to like me and then it'll carry over into the Jewish people. But he struggles. But part of that is because in... Matthew, we see Claudia, his, his wife, in Matthew 27, 19, we read that she had sent him a message saying, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Now, we don't know if she just had a dream because she had been paying attention to what was going on at the time. We don't know if she was a follower of Jesus uh, in private or in secret. All we know is that she tells Pilate that he's innocent. Don't, don't have anything to do with this. So I think that's part of Pilate's struggle as well. But what happens is the accusations we see brought against Jesus by the temple leaders, they were saying that, that he was a king. And so Pilate asks him as much. I mean, I'm sure at this point Jesus didn't look very kingly. I mean, he probably didn't anyway. He was spending so much time on the road, um, you know, in sandals and with the robe that he wore. I mean, he probably didn't look kingly. But by this time, he had already been arrested in the garden. And I'm sure that the soldiers were kind when this happened. He'd already been before the high priest, and scripture tells us that when he was there, uh, he said something and somebody smacked him. So at this point in time, he was probably dirty and bloody and sweaty and not exactly very kingly. But as we soon hear during Advent, the belief is that the Messiah would come as a king, that, that the Messiah was going to come and topple the empire and take over and, and kick the Romans out and reestablish the throne of Israel in Jerusalem. That there would be no more occupation, no more subjugation to, to another culture or another country. But what happened is, instead of turning over tables in, in the palace, Jesus came and he turned over tables in the temple. Jesus came to establish a kingdom, but a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom not of this world. So Jesus' answer to Pilate is, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. The contrast here between Jesus and Pilate is obvious. You have Pilate, who was this earthly ruler. Um, by earthly standards, he had power and control. He, he controlled the government in this area. Um, he held a title. Uh, by the way, his title was gained through nepotism. So it wasn't something that he'd earned through battles or, or anything like that. He just sort of got it through nepotism. But he had money and influence nonetheless, and he would do anything to maintain and increase them. By contrast, Jesus had no, by earthly standards, no power born a humble carpenter. Uh, he didn't have the money. He didn't have the power. He had some influence. But we all know that Jesus held power and had all the power of the world available to him. But he chose to put it aside. He chose to give it up. 
In our world, not much has changed today. We still see money and power ruling, and those who have it will do anything to keep it, even if it means walking on other people. We've seen this play out on many levels in our society. But our world is not the same as God's kingdom. But the problem is Christianity is often drawn to power and influence because Christians believe that they have this message to share. What better way to do it than by force? I mean, look at the Crusades and other things in our history. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. See, the Pharisees were shining examples of this, and we didn't learn from them. Today we see it in how people claim to be Christian while simultaneously living these unscrupulous lives while they wed themselves to power and influence and act very unlike Christ in order to maintain this. You can't claim Christ and then promote violence and hate. It's like I said last week. They've, they've simply made Jesus their mascot and nothing more. They pull him out when it's convenient to get likes or votes or whatever else it is. And then they don't listen to his word. As I've said before, whenever someone claims Christ, you have to look for the fruit. And in many people today that claim Christ, the fruit is rotten. Pilate even says to Jesus, you are a king then, to which Jesus responds. You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Not included in today's lectionary passage is verse 38, which is Pilate's reply that says, what's the truth? And I can think of no more timely question today. What's the truth? See, the truth is for us that there is something and someone greater than anything this world could possibly offer us. The truth is that there is a kingdom unlike anything this world has to offer us. The problem is this kingdom cannot be seen with human eyes and this kingdom runs contrary to everything this world will teach us matters. The problem is this kingdom will cause friction as we try to live our lives in this world. So what happens is people give up. It's too hard to do. I want to fit in. I don't, I don't want to live that way. And what happens is people give up the unseen for what is seen. They give up humility and, and all of those things in, the, in order to, to take power and to have their way. What happens is it's just like the people back in Moses' day. They, they choose to follow the golden calf instead of waiting for the word of God. They give up following Jesus and instead chase the things of this world. George Orwell said, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. We live in a time of deceit. There are many in our world who make their money and their name off of lies and deceit. And sometimes it's hard to tell what's true and what's not. One of my favorite quotes, which I've shared before from Pastor Andy Stanley, and whether, no matter what it is or how you're living, I love this quote, which simply says this, when you don't know what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. In the film, The Lion King, young Simba is taken by his father, Mufasa, up to a high place that overlooks the land. Mufasa says to Simba, look, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. Young Simba's response is, whoa. <laughs> Pretty profound. 
But Mufasa then says, A king's time as ruler rises and falls like the sun. One day, Simba, the sun will set on my time here and will rise with you as the new king. This is true in the real world too. Kingdoms come and go. And with them, so do politicians and leaders and celebrities and millionaires. Because not even wealth and power will last forever. And at the end of time, only Jesus Christ will remain. Because one day the sun is going to set on this earth and all of its earthly kingdoms. And on this day, God's kingdom will be established on this earth. And the things that matter to this world, the things that this world has told us is important, won't anymore. So this morning, who or what is the king of your life? Is your focus on something or someone of this world? Or is it on Jesus Christ and the coming kingdom of God? One of these will last forever. The others will not. Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you today. We thank you for Christ the King. We thank you for knowing that one day all of this will pass away, but that your word is eternal. We ask you would help us to hold tight to your word and to follow Jesus. Amen.